Hello, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Newbridge and so glad to have you joining us online. You're welcome here. Uh, I hope that this sermon is helpful and is encouraging to you no matter what's going on in life or no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey. Uh, for now, enjoy this sermon. Again, hope that it's helpful and I hope to have the opportunity to meet you in person. Okay, so YouTube. How many of you have ever used YouTube to learn how to do something? <laughs> All right. Yes, yes. YouTube. You can use YouTube to learn how to build something, how to make something, how to cook something, how to learn something. Uh, there's so much. It's kind of like the question, like, if you don't know how to do something, then what do you do? Well, you YouTube it, and you can pretty much do just about anything. And in this day and age, we so prize being able to do things ourselves. We even have that little, you know, the DIY, do it yourself. And, and we prize being able to do that, like not needing to rely on other people. I can figure it out on my own. I've got YouTube. I've got Google. I don't need your help. I don't need to pay for somebody else. I can figure it out on my own. And we really prize that. And and I'm kind of knocking YouTube a little bit in that. And for anybody who's watching this sermon not live, you're probably watching it through YouTube. And so all kinds of good, <laughs> all kinds of good for YouTube. <laughs> but it is a picture. It is reflective of the propensity in the human heart uh, for self-reliance and even self-promotion. On YouTube, you can build your own brand. And, and if you do it well enough, I mean, there's even a new category of career like influencer, social media influencer. You can build a whole career by promoting yourself through YouTube and, and social media. But these aren't new developments in the human heart, the propensity for self-reliance and self-promotion. They go back to the very earliest days of humanity. And in fact, there's this account in Genesis 11 that tells us that the that humanity came together with one language, and as they came together, they, they said, let's build a city for ourselves, and let's build a tower that reaches to the sky, let's keep from being scattered, and let's build, and let's make a name for ourselves. And this is like the first, one, of the, one of the early examples we see of this do-it-yourself mentality. We can rely on ourselves. We can make ourselves great. But spoiler alert in this story, even though that was their goal, they ended up scattered across the face of the earth. I don't know if you ever feel discouraged when you look and you think about humanity or maybe even your own life. There's so much potential, so much good, and yet potential isn't all there is, right? Potential doesn't always equate over into good results, and sometimes that's a big part of the heartbreak, is you can see the potential and then, and then it doesn't get there. In Genesis, we see the origin story of humanity. We see there's so much promise, so much potential. God has created this incredible world and created humans in his image to reflect his character and his purposes. And created and entrusted now to partner, to live in this unique relationship with God, fully known, fully loved, and even entrusted to go and to carry out his heart and purposes in the rest of creation, in the rest of the world. So much potential. But at each 
turn, instead of trusting God, instead of relying on God, instead of looking to God for his ways and setting aside their own, in each instance, in each intersection, we have seen humanity choose rather than trusting God to go their own ways, to trust themselves, to pursue self-reliance, to pursue self-promotion. Over and over again, we see it even in the very beginning of the story. And so far in the biblical narrative, these decisions to say, God, we're not going to trust you, not going to rely on you, going to go our own way, has brought things like shame, hiding, jealousy, anger, murder. Last week we saw that it got so bad that when God looked at humanity, he saw that every human, their, their heart and their mind was corrupt only with wickedness and evil to the point that God said, listen, we're hitting reboot, starting over and brought a flood that, that destroyed everything except for Noah and his family, and two of every kind of animal. Because God, we see over and over, has shown himself to be one who graciously interrupts our sin and our brokenness, and he calls us back to his design for living. Over and over, he interrupts. And even what is judgment, even what comes as discipline, is his gracious intervention to draw us back to him. Well, not long after Noah got off the boat, like, it must have been a little bit of time because he needed some time for the grapes to grow and then for them to ferment and to, you know, make his wine. So however long that takes, he had some time there. They don't capture that. But he, he go ahead, he went made use of his wine and, and, and drank plenty of it to the point where the scripture says that he's laying there naked in his tent. Well, his son Ham uh, comes and he sees Noah laying there, passed out in his tent naked. And instead of covering him up, which would have been the honorable thing to do, he goes and he gets his brothers, Shem and Japheth, and they, and they come. But instead of looking at Noah in this state, they walk backwards, and then they cover him up in his nakedness. Well, when Noah comes to and realizes what's happened, he cursed Ham and his descendants, but he blesses Shem and Japheth and their descendants. This is all the backdrop of what we're coming to in Genesis chapter 11 with the Tower of Babel, but what comes before Genesis chapter 11 is Genesis chapter 10. Go figure, right? But even though Genesis chapter 10 comes chronologically before Genesis chapter 11, actually the events in Genesis chapter 11 happen before Genesis 10. Genesis 10 lists all these descendants of Noah and his sons and how they spread out over all the earth, but Genesis 11 tells us how that happened. But in Genesis 10, we're introduced to an important character for understanding part of what's going on in Genesis 11. See, we've already been told that Ham and his descendants are going to be cursed. And then we're introduced to, to some of his descendants. So like in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, it says that uh, one of Ham's sons was Cush. Then we go to verse 8. Cush fathered Nimrod. Now, Nimrod, verse 10 tells us, uh, started the kingdom of Babylon in the land of Shinar. Nimrod's name means rebellious one or to rebel. This is what his name means. And he's going to go and he's going to start his kingdom in Babylon, which from this point forward throughout the scripture represents opposition to God, represents opposition to the, to the ways of God, rebellion against God. I mean, we see this, you trace Babylon all the way through to the last pages of the Bible. And this is what we see is starting here through the line of Ham through, the, through his line and through Cush. And so then in Genesis chapter 11, it says the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And there's indicators right away here that, that this isn't a good thing. 
It says that they're coming from the east. And so far in the biblical narrative, we're seeing that east represents a place outside of God's blessing. It represents the place outside of Eden. So when Adam and Eve, for example, are, are expelled from the garden, they go eastward. When Cain uh, is sent away after murdering Abel, he goes eastward. And so the fact that these people are coming from the east, Moses is letting us know like they're coming from outside of God's blessing. And then they're settling in the land of Shinar, which will become part of the, uh, Babylon. And so we're already noticing these people are living outside of God's design. And it doesn't take long to see the way that this plays out in the narrative. It's, they said to each other, come, let's make oven-fired bricks. They used bricks for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. So much of what lies in the human heart is represented here. Let's build a city for ourselves to keep from being scattered. Let's build a tower to the skies and make a great name for ourselves. We see these pursuits here, building a city, building a tower. We see these motivations of their heart, kind of this self-preservation and this making a name, the self-promotion here. See, building a city was often, often included building city walls. This was a way that you could keep undesired people out, and it could keep the people that you wanted in. It could keep you safe. Cities represented things like progress. They, they represented things like safety and power, identity and control. I mean, you think about it even now, like when you hear what city somebody's from, you begin to formulate ideas about them. You, you have all kinds of ideas of what kind of person they might be just from the very city that they come from. Cities represent all kinds of things. And so they're saying, let's make a city for ourselves. And with this, we can keep from being scattered. We can preserve ourselves. We can control the way we want life to be. We can keep other people out with our walls. And we can be in charge of the way that life goes for us. Let's build this for ourselves. Let's do it ourselves. YouTube it. How do you build a city? It's got to be on YouTube. <laughs> Where does this self-reliance come from within the human heart? Our, one of the roots of self-reliance is the stronghold of fear or pride. We, we fear not being in control. And so we build city walls. We, we fear being vulnerable and taken advantage of. We fear the unknown. And our pride keeps us from seeking help. It, it keeps us from letting people in where they can see what's really going on. And so our pride says we've got to keep people away. Our, our pride causes us to see other people differently and maybe as less important than us. And so we, keep wall, we, we build up walls to keep them out. Our, our pride causes us to see ourselves maybe not so clearly, and so we build walls. Think about your own life. What city walls do you build, do you erect in order to keep people out or to gain some kind of greater control of your life in response to emotions or experiences that you're having in life? Instead of pursuing greater reliance on God and the freedom that he brings, how has your past hurt led to you erecting walls? How, has fear gripping you and, how is fear gripping you and causing you to turn inward in self-preservation mode? 
what lie or lies are you believing that, that says God can't be trusted or God doesn't want what's best for you? And so you're best to take control and to try to run life your way. In what ways are you trying to accomplish for yourself what you wish God would do for you? But you said, let's do this ourselves. Let me do this myself. See, there are beliefs behind our actions. And there are experiences that feed into those beliefs. Oftentimes those beliefs are actually lies or believing in the wrong things. But it's, it's beliefs that we're taking hold of and experiences that we're living out of. This is one of the reasons that we, that we believe that living free, this living free class that you hear us talk about is so incredibly important here at Newbridge for learning what it means to live in relationship with God and with ourselves and with others. You've probably heard us talking about it, and, and maybe you're kind of going, I still don't feel like I really even know what living free is. I don't really know who it's for. So I just want to take a minute. I want you to hear from some people who have participated in living free before, and then I'm going to invite Ryan and Rachel Fox to come up after that, and they're going to just talk a little bit with you as well. So would you go ahead and watch this, this video here? The way I would explain living free um, it really put me, uh, or reminded me of uh, Ephesians 6, of the armor of God. That's what Living Free did for me right off the bat. I'm so energized now to engage the enemy, of course, with God's help. I think it's a really um, just reflective, um, thing for just you and your relationship with God. I enjoyed our prayer time. I learned how to pray. Um, I learned a lot about um, generational um, injustices and sin um, and how to stop that. Just to take that next step to be closer um, to God. Getting through all the strongholds in your life, seeing what's trapping you from having abundant life. It was so important that I take this class that Satan actually made me miss the second class. And I had to bail and I gave up and just got trapped in some uh, diversions that I shouldn't have. It was that important for me to be here. Um, one of the things that I took away from this, perhaps the most important thing, is we spend so much time focusing on I am not. Don't do this, don't do that. We spend so much time just being preoccupied with the things that we're not. I'm not this. We tell ourselves we're not this sin or that sin or that background or this history. But we need to adopt the belief uh, of the things that say what we are. I am uh, forgiven. I am chosen. I am delivered. We don't do that enough. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed, uh, John 8, 36 says. So um, I, th I just think it was great. It actually encouraged me to write a new song about the fear of man, which I've struggled with forever. So that was very illuminating. God brought that to mind as well. And uh, I, I'm experiencing a new sense of freedom after this class. So hope everybody experiences it. Living Free helps you train your mind to hear what God is whispering, not what the enemy is shouting. And I love this verse, 2 Kings 10, 16. Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. 
I don't know, I just think that the, the journey is really cool how it takes you through the process of identifying, talking about your original design, how God like designed us to be from the beginning, from our inception in the womb, and how society and family and life and basically sin can really change your design and your perspective on life. And I love how, in the end of it, you're like saying, I am statements, like, I am a man of significance, because that's what God made me to be originally. And I think that's really cool. I am overflowing with joy for you, Lord, and bringing joy to others. I am royalty working the dirt of your garden, because I know where my home is. I am a leader discerning what is truth from you and discarding what is not. I'm a man of significance. I'm a gatekeeper a protector, a tender warrior, a prophetic voice in the darkness, passionate pursuer of the truth, I am beloved, I am a tree growing and standing firm in the storm, I am help in troubled times, I am strong, I'll say it again, train your mind to hear what God is whispering, not what the enemy is shouting. I'm energized, I'm pumped. I'm ready, I'm ready to, uh, to, to declare war on the enemy right here, right now. All right. Thank you. Brian, Rachel, come on up. All right. So I know that that gave you a little bit. You got to hear from some people, but there still might be some questions, especially if you haven't been around here a long time of like, so what exactly is living free? I'm hearing things like original design. I hear words like stronghold. I hear things about prayer and, and, and stuff, but... I wanted just to ask you guys, we talk about and we say that living free is like this fabric of Newbridge. It's like it's, it's so foundational. It's woven through so much of how we uh, try to pursue a relationship with God and with others. How would you guys describe living free to somebody who's never experienced it? Uh, they did such a great job. That video is amazing. Um, first off, I would say the, the main focus is our God's original design for us. Um, it's his design, not what the world has told us or our circumstances or even what we believe about ourselves based on um, maybe a lifetime of believing a false belief or a lie. Yeah. Great. Um, and both you, Pastor John, and the video hit on it um, very well at the beginning. We're talking about strongholds. And... Um, what came to my mind, knowing that we're going to have this conversation, is in 2 Corinthians, um, the Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we may be righteous, right? And that's, um, I would describe that as positional holiness, right? It's where we stand in light of what he's done for us. But there's a second reality at play and the reality is that we're in a, a fallen world right now. And the result of that is that there's sin and there's injustice, right? And we, even as Jesus followers, we experience those things in our lives. Even if we understand that our positional holiness, that even if we understand that we're righteous in God's sight, we're in a fallen world. 
And sometimes the result of that is that we can at times just be like one degree off, right? And that one degree over a period of time, it creates a pretty big chasm. And so that chasm, that one degree off, and you guys can fix this if I butcher it, but uh, I mean, that is the stronghold, right? And those strongholds, those result in behaviors. And then those behaviors, they take root in our lives. And so really hitting those strongholds head on, uh, we as Jesus followers, we can experience a ton of freedom and, and breakthrough when, when we approach those. So it's not, it's not a one-time thing, right? It's not, I think that's kind of a common misconception in the church that, hey, we get saved and we don't, we don't even have to think about that stuff. But we know, if we're being honest with each other, that our reality is that we battle those things. And so I think this class, it equips us well to hit those strongholds in our life um, head on. Uh, did I? Yeah? All right. That's great. Yeah. And, and so many times those strongholds, like you said, come out of our experiences. So they end up being things like bitterness or self-hate. And, and then we live out of that, out of experiences that we've had. So these are ways, living free helps say like, here are what some of those are, and here's how we live in freedom from them. Here's how we pray against them. Here's how we identify, and here's how we walk in the truth rather than lies that those are, are telling us. How, okay, so you guys know a lot about it. How have you personally experienced living free, and what's the impact been in your own life? Yeah, I'll uh, take that. So um, growing up, I experienced a lot of emotional and verbal abuse. And through that injustice, um, I developed the stronghold of fear. We just talk, you just talked about fear and how that plays out. And because of that deep-rooted fear in my life, I was always kind of um, fearful that people would realize how unworthy and worthless I was. That's that false belief. Mm. Um, and I, actually, because of that, I turned around and I did the same abuses to others. That was done to me. And it was through Living Free that I really discovered that pattern, um, learned the tools to battle the enemy um, and live in light of who God said I, I am and not, um, not really that um, false belief I had for so many years. Hmm. I love that. I hope that you're hearing that this is not just a class of like information. This is very much directed at, at our hearts at each person saying, here's my story, here's, here's who God's made me to be, but here's what life has done in the midst of that, and here's how I'm wanting to walk in freedom that Christ has made uh, available for us. So, so who would you say should sign up for Living Tree? Is, like, is this for like advanced Christians, Christians 4.0? Is this for like, or like, who is this for? Who is Living Free for? Who would you encourage to, to take this? Yeah. Everybody. I mean, I would definitely say, like my analogy of the, the one degree off, right? <clears throat> I, I immediately think of relationships and how often, you know, just in our relationships, um, whether it be marital relationships, friendships, or even, you know, our walk with God, um, just that one degree of, of being off over a period of time, that, that gap, you just feel like something's off, and I don't know if that's just me, but I think it's probably everyone. Um, 
And, I, and so saying that, I think, gosh, this is something that everyone would benefit from in their life, um, in their marriage, in their walk with the Lord, and, and just the community and, and walk with others. So for sure, everybody. Yeah. And we've had people who've taken it one time, people have taken it like seven times, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know, you know, and, and so always being something new to learn. So. And, and I say even about that, like, you know, sanctification, right, from being saved until either we die or Christ comes, right? That process of sanctification, it never ends. We never get to a spot where we're, you know, okay or, or where we made it. And so no matter where you're at, and we're all in different places, right? That's the beauty of community. You can take it five times. If you've been saved for 30 years or three days, it's a, it's a good move. I got the opportunity to spend time with Joanne before she passed, and we talked about living free because she was asking me what I was doing at the church, and um, and I said, did you did you ever take living free? And she's like, oh yes, she's like several times, hmm. and you know she is like goals to me when it comes to a, a walk yeah. with the Lord, and she herself was like, yeah, I mean we live we love and we believe in a living God. And that means as we grow and we change, he is living in every aspect of our life, every stage of our life. And so whether you've already taken living free, whether you're just a new believer, or whether you've been walking with him for years, um, living free is for everyone. Yeah, awesome. So there's information about it in your program of how you can sign up. Uh, This time around, we're having it during first service on Sunday morning starting next week, uh, especially with those of you in mind who would say, and childcare is one of the reasons I haven't been able to do it before. Um, we want to help remove that um, barrier. So um, next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So in Genesis 11, we're seeing people live out of their brokenness, out of sin, which cause, go, leads into this self-reliance mentality. I can do it. We can build. We can take care of the things that we should be looking to God for. We can go ahead and do it ourselves. But what's interesting, when we talk about self-reliance, often there's this individualistic side to it, and and there is, but we see that they were doing it all together. So then it's kind of like, well, how does that work? Is that still self-reliance, or is that something else? But actually, self-reliance can be like, it can be a culture, it can be a group thing. It can be a societal thing. Like, hey, as people, as a human race, as society, Let's figure out how to live without needing to rely on anybody else, on God. Like we can, we can take care of ourselves. We, have, we can have medical advancements. We can have economic advancements. We can do all these things so we don't even need God anymore, right? So it can be this group thing. And we see all kinds of ways that you can unite and uniting be a bad thing. Like, as, as humanity, we're often like, well, let's just all get together. Let's be united. These people came together, one voice. Let's go pursue this. And so we would often say, like, yes, don't we just want people to come together? But we can come together and unite around the wrong things. And that's what we see happening here in this text. We were created to be in relationship. That's part of what God created us for. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be careful about who we unite our lives with. And these people, somewhere along the lines, united in such a way that their mentality was, we don't 
need God. While God created us to be in community with other people, these relationships were always intended to be a part of how we grow in our relationship with him. And the relationships that take us away from him are ones that we need to be aware of and be careful of. It just raises a couple of questions in my mind as I think about these people here. I think, what do the most influential relationships in my life encourage me toward greater reliance on God or on other things? Think about the people who are most influential in your life and who have the voice or voices in your life. Are they encouraging you toward reliance and greater reliance on Christ? Or are they encouraging you towards greater, like, hey, let's do this. You can do that. You can be, but it's taking you away from God's original design for you and for how you are to live in relationship with him. They say things like, man, show me your friends and I'll show you who you're going to become. They, they, they'll say things like, I don't remember what it is, like the, you become like the sum total of the average of like your, what, five closest friends or something like that. It's significant. Your relationships are significant. Who are those in your life and what kind of impact are they having? And then here's another question I think worth reflecting on. What lie or lies am I believing that keep me from seeking greater reliance on God? Like when you just notice yourself going to that do-it-myself mentality or reliance on somebody else, what lie is it? What's behind that that's causing you to live that way? And I think it's important to identify some of those. So they want to build this city, but they also want to build this tower. And they say this tower, well, with its uh, tops in the sky, let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered throughout the earth. I think this tower represents self-sufficiency, but it also represents self-promotion. There's a couple things that I think might be going on here with this tower. Uh, on, on the one hand, so back in, in the ancient Near Eastern times, especially in Babylon, towers were kind of these temple-like figures, structures. They, uh, they believed that the gods were in the skies, that maybe even in the mountaintops, these are where the deities lived. And so building a tower there, in one sense, is trying to uh, reach, it's through their efforts, to reach the gods. It's, it's saying, like, we can get to God ourselves. It's the way that we as humanity rely on our own efforts through religion, morality, doing good things, and we think this is one way that I can connect with the divine. But I think there's something else going on here, especially when we look at the fact that part of their motivation was let's make a great name for ourselves. This building a tower then to the skies, I think, is a way of them saying we can become godlike on our own. We can attain godlike status. If we build this, then we can get to the, to the realm of where the deities are. Let's make a name for ourselves. Let's look at how great we are, how powerful we are, all that we can accomplish. We can be like God. And wasn't that the temptation that Satan first brought to Adam and Eve? If you take of this fruit, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. This is deep in our hearts to promote ourselves, to say we're enough. We don't need God. And so we might not build towers, but boy, we sure, good at, we sure do get good at figuring out how we can promote ourselves and say, look at me. We, do it, we can do it through YouTube, right? You can do it through social media. You can do it through the way that you talk about yourself. And the way you represent yourself, you represent a story, and you can, you can share the best sides and leave out the other parts that, are, that you don't want anybody else to know about. 
There's all kinds of ways that we do this, and we live in a world that encourages us to make our own brand. It encourages us to, to promote ourselves. Like, build your resume so that you can separate yourself from your um, competitors. Get better grades. Outperform your teammates. Get in better shape. Show people how good your life is, how, how perfect your family is, and how they have it all together. Show them that and, and all that you've figured out in life that they haven't yet figured out. And if, you're, and if you're struggling with promoting yourself, don't worry. There's hacks to do that. There's hacks to get more Instagram followers, right? Like there's people who will promise that they will double, triple, quadruple your, your followers. There's ways that you can learn how to get coaching so that you can make yourself look better. And so we keep promoting ourselves. And if you can make a name for yourself, then maybe you can get that promotion. Or, or maybe you can get your kid into that special program or that special school. If you can just figure out the right way to set yourself and set them apart from everybody else. And, and isn't that just an exhausting way to live? Where it's constantly thinking about, how can I give myself the edge? How can I show all the best of who I am when in reality, I know I've got all kinds of brokenness within me. How can I hide that and only show what makes me look powerful and successful? But this isn't what we were created for. This isn't how we were created to flourish. We were created to be in a trusting relationship with God, relying on him for our good, for our flourishing, believing what he says is true, and following his path. But while we think we're progressing like we, saw, like we see here, we're actually declining in what God has designed for us, which just brings a couple of questions to consider. One, how does self-promotion show up in my life? You might be somebody who says, I'm not even on social media. Okay, but what other ways do you promote yourself? How are these efforts taking me away from worshiping and promoting God? How do those efforts put the focus on you but they take you away from living for and promoting God. How God responds is just perfect in this. Then the Lord came down and he, to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. And the Lord said, if they have begun to do this as one people all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, it's called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there, the Lord scattered them throughout the earth. You see the, the irony and the humor in this. They wanted to build a tower to reach the skies, and what? God had to come down to see it. They wanted to build a city so that they wouldn't be scattered, and yet they end up scattered. Friends, like we, we do so much thinking that we can figure it all out on our own and we can do it and our best efforts fall so far short of who God is and what life is like in him. I love it. God had to come down to see the tower that they were trying to build up to him. Like, God, look at, look at me. Look at all that I did. And he's like, still falls short. Scripture says even your best efforts are like filthy rags. It's, it's nothing. When will you stop 
trying to rely on yourself and promote yourself. How many times will we continue to pursue life outside of God's original design, believing that we know what's best and we know how to do it on our own, only to find ourselves in the very mess that we were trying to avoid in the first place? These people don't want to be scattered, and they end up scattered because they're not living life God's ways. They're living life according to their own. How many times do we do the same? Man, my life is struggling. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling in my life, but I can't tell anybody. I mean, geez, I'm supposed to have it all together, so I can do it. I got it. I'll take care of this on my own. I don't need to talk to anybody. And meanwhile, we just disintegrate more and more and more. My marriage, like... Man, we're, we're having a tough go at it. We're, we can't seem to get on the same page. We're arguing more and more. We're growing distant, but I can't let anybody know. And so let's post another picture of how happy we look. Let's, let's show another vacation that we went on. And everything is okay until actually now we come in and it's like we're filing. We're, we're throwing in the towel. We couldn't make it work. And sorry, we didn't let you know because we just, we thought we could do it on our own. And we felt too embarrassed to say it. Or I, I, want to be, I want people to know me, and I want people to love me. And, and, and so I'm not finding it, but I go around from one relationship to the next, bouncing around, thinking that surely somebody will make me feel valuable and secure and successful and all of that. But instead, I just feel used and discarded because I haven't found that kind of love that only I can find in Christ. I want security, and I want status, and so I just keep working harder and harder and harder. And maybe I do get a little bit more of that, but at some expense along the way of maybe relationships and maybe even certain aspects of your character that you had to set aside to get there. When will we stop approaching life outside of God's design? How many times will we continue to say, I got it, I can do it, look at me. And meanwhile, we're just taking ourselves further and further and further for what God had in mind when he created you to be in relationship with him. And yet God came down. I love that we sang that song. I didn't even think about it until we were singing it. God came down to see them. This is what we see over and over of God in the biblical narrative. He comes to us in our rebellion and in our brokenness. Adam and Eve sinned. They go and hide. God comes to them and he finds them. Cain, God comes to Cain in his anger and after he murdered Abel, and he's giving him the opportunity to come back in relationship with him. God intervened and went down when he saw how corrupt and wicked humanity was, and he set apart Noah and his family, and he's giving humanity the opportunity to return to him. And even here again, when humanity continues to live this way, God comes down. His discipline is an invitation for us to turn from our broken, sinful ways and to return to him. This is God's grace. God's discipline, his intervention, is our grace. He is the only one who can bring what we're looking for and trying to do on our own. He is the only one who brings the security that we seek. And he's the only one that gives us the name that has any significance that really matters at all. That's why I, I love the way Genesis 12 opens when it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through 
you. God says that what humanity cannot do for themselves, I will do for them. I will do for you. All that you are seeking after and you think I can just do it on my own, God's saying you can't, but I can for you and I will and I have done it for you. Will you return to me? And then God says, even where there's my discipline that spread the people all over the whole earth, my grace follows. And my intent is to bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth. As people who receive my grace, then go and speak and share this grace to others. Do you see, just like in the flood, God's mercy follows his discipline. God's discipline is intended to bring us back to him. This is why we encourage you to be a part of living free, where you can learn who God originally designed you to be and all that's coming against that and how to walk in freedom, how to flourish as God created you to flourish in relationship with him, yourself, and others. This is why we encourage you to be a part of life groups and to, be in, to participate in youth group so that you can be a part in relationships with people who instead of pointing you away from God will point you to what it looks like to grow in relationship with him in supporting relationships that will help you in that. This is why we pray because in prayer we're saying, God, I, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do. I'm acknowledging that, so I need to hear from you and I want to know your heart and how I live. This is why we give financially, because in our giving, we're saying, God, I'm relying on you for everything I have. I'm not just relying on what I can stash up and all that I can do. I'm relying on you. And not only that, I don't want to just be about building my city. I want to be about building your kingdom collectively. And so here's what I have, Lord, to be about building up your purposes and to make your name great and not my own. And that's why we sing, because when we worship, we're declaring how great God is, and we're, we're reminding ourselves of where we are in relationship with him. And this is why we come to communion each week. We come to communion, we reflect on the cross and we remember that this is where we bring all of our efforts and we lay them down at the cross. And we say, God, here, here it is. I know my best efforts will never bring me to you. It's only that you came down for me. And so I lay my pride. I lay my self-sufficiency. I, I lay my attempts to make myself great. I lay them down at the cross. And instead, I pick up your grace and I receive your grace and I walk in who you say I am. Not the name that I try to make for myself, but the name that you give me that nobody else can take away. A name that I could never create for myself. Beloved son, daughter of the most high God. I receive what only you can give. And we do this together because we're reminded that God intended us to be a part of relationships that will help us not grow in self-reliance, but grow in reliance on him. And it's through these relationships where we can be about making his love known and making his name great and not our own. So I'm going to invite the band to come on up at this time. And, um, and as they're coming up and as we go through this, as we sing this next song, I want to invite you to reflect some, just on those, those general categories, self-reliance, self-promotion. Lord, where is it that I am trying to do all of this and what do I need to lay down before you right now so that instead of it being all about me, Lord, it can be about me learning how to walk 
in who you've created me to be and the salvation that you've purchased through Christ and the freedom I have. Would you spend some time reflecting on that? And I'll pray for us as we prepare. Lord, um, though this happened a long time ago, not so much is different within our own hearts. And so once again, we come to this point where we are reminded that it is only your grace that we can rely on. It is only the greatness of your name that we live for. There's a lot that gets in the way of that between last week and today. So would you search our hearts and show us that and show us what we need to lay down at the cross as we come to gather these elements. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.